Hello. Humans are the only animals who communicate with language, or at least with something that holds such rules and regulations, such tightly bound constructions and restrictions as the grammar that we manufacture for ourselves. Though we would like to entertain the notion that every word out of our mouths, every second of the day, means something, I can guarantee you that this is a misconception, one held by far too many. Much of our day is filled with arguments and counter-arguments, lists recited blandly and responses that make those very same lists seem riveting by comparison. Some of this is done by necessity, to keep the gears of our day grinding along with a minimum of issue. But some, in fact most, of these words will be forgotten as soon as they are spoken, and carry no meaning in love or war or life. Much of what we say is void of point or purpose, and most times we cannot summon up even a simple kind word or comment on the beauty of the day as it passes by. Our language, it seems is not so concise as we would like to believe it is. Wolves can speak volumes through a simple curve of ear or cock of head. Their lives are governed by the thousands of voiceless interactions that go unseen and unnoticed by all but the most observant of humans. Other animals can, like a strange breed of alchemist, transmute their emotions, be they anger, fear, or joy, into a single scent readily available to others of their species. Sound is not the only way that nature can make herself known. No, far from it. Most times sound is the first means of communication abandoned when danger strikes or a slice of life inspires awe. In the two episodes that I have made preceding this one, I have touched upon matters that could be called political. They are topics that are avoided at dinner parties, that inspire a hush when a hapless guest brings them up. And they are all well and good. No, they are even more than that, for they make large ripples in the world that we live in, and to address those ripples is one of the most important responsibilities we have as denizens of this planet, Earth. Yet at the same time, I feel that it is important to devote episodes to other topics of equal significance, all connected through the same vein of silence. Though there are different breeds of silence, each that provides a particular refreshment of spirit, of mind, of body. Some are not so much without communication as without sound. They are filled to the brim with the sort of transmission of ideas that I mentioned previously, that of animals, of sense and sights free from the burden of sound. This is precisely the type of link from one creature to another that I wish to address in today's podcast. So today, we speak of Jane Goodall. Goodall was not only a scientist, but an explorer of silence, someone who brought quietude and still reflection into the practice of science. 
She made countless discoveries about the behavior of chimpanzees, yes, tool-making and meat-eating among some of her most famous. But her most important achievement was one about humans themselves and how we can interact with the world around us in silent ways that draw out the marrow of the environment in which we live. Goodall was a woman scientist in a world dominated by men who held her in great scorn. She was female, after all, supposedly too empathic and mild to make a good scientist, and had gone out into the field without so much as a college education. But those weaknesses, those very features which created such contempt among her scientific peers, were what made her the perfect candidate to study chimpanzees. Her lack of formal schooling made her mind open to instinct, which in turn led her to stumbling upon one of the most effective biological research methods science possesses today, that of simply watching and waiting and reveling patiently in silence. She allowed the chimpanzees she studied to become accustomed to her through long days of exposure becoming as much a fixture in their community as a rock or tree or fellow chimp. And as she watched, taking the time to sit and ponder in silence what other scientists had written out off as hopeless after a week of futile results, she learned. Her most stunning and revealing discoveries about the human-like behavior of our closest cousins came from this method of observation— without noise or speed, speech or lists. She merely let nature stay its course instead of jumping into the fray of wildlife and frightening off her test subjects. She observed with a grace and a calm not possessed by those scientists who scorned her name, using empathy and quiet patience to link many behaviors from human to chimpanzee and back again, realizing the unique bonds that we two species share by thinking instead of doing, by hanging back instead of leaping out. If Goodall hadn't calmly waited for the monkeys to come to her, if she had always been transmitting, be it frustration or anger or a feeling of superiority or speech, instead of receiving the information that she gleaned from her subjects, we would not know what we do now about both the chimpanzees and the methods we can use to study them. Jane Goodall became nobody when she observed the chimps. She did not speak, did not scream, did not attempt to imprint herself onto the world in all the ways we have created to define the concept of ourselves. She ceased to be somebody and merely became a silent watcher something that others trust with their secrets and their true selves, something that we all should strive to be, if not for science, then for the betterment of ourselves and of others. For if we watch and listen and observe the world the way it is, then we can avoid the constant dance of treading upon others' toes and darkening their days with senseless comments. If we become nobody... For just a minute, then we can realize the needs of others once we return to ourselves and the impact we can create. 
the importance of this quietude. It is not lack of self. It is merely ceasing to imprint yourself on the world. Is why I have chosen the poem, I'm Nobody, Who Are You? by Emily Dickinson. I'm nobody. Who are you? Are you nobody, too? Then there's a pair of us. Don't tell. They'd banish us, you know. How dreary to be a somebody. How public like a frog. To tell your name the live-long day to one admiring bog. Observation over action. Patience over control. Collecting instead of sending. These are all tools that we must know, both for science and for the treatment of the world that we live in today. It seems that we must always be doing something, always be saying something, always be filling our ears with the babble of words, some that carry meaning, others that do not. Most of us cannot find it within ourselves to take a few deep breaths and sink into silence. If we all are on constantly, all the time, without a single moment of watching and allowing others to communicate in quieter ways that do not require sound, then we rob ourselves of a host of meaningful interactions that can enrich us mentally and emotionally. We miss the little things, the slight smiles of camaraderie, the slim blink of an eye when a line has been crossed, sign that tells us exactly what fork to take. If we are always somebody, then we cannot be nobody. We cannot be like Jane Goodall silently watching and quietly making discoveries to change the landscape of science. She had the courage to be nobody, to vanish into the background. And you look at what she became, and more importantly, what she saw. Will you? Questions, comments, concerns, email me at explore.silence.podcast at gmail.com.